I absolutely love um, the self-checkout in Coles. I just think, why, why didn't we get there sooner? That's just so efficient. I don't think machines will ever give you the full trust that a human can. It feels like automation's just creeping in at the moment. Uh, for example, I book a flight and uh, I don't have to do anything, it just pops up in my calendar. I'm very optimistic about AI. Uh, I hope it makes it easier to do my laundry, do my ironing. That would be great. Technology scares me. Um, you know, I've seen so many programs where the world is being taken over by robots and I don't know, it just it looks so bleak. Life will get slightly more impersonal and there will be in future a premium placed on human elements and engagement. Hello and welcome to Avenard's Workplace of the Future podcast. My name's Sandy Abrahams and I lead the modern workplace business in Avenard, Australia. Now you would have heard some interesting comments about what people think about the future of intelligent automation and robots replacing jobs. But today I want to break down some of these ideas further with my guests, Dan Turner, CTO for Asia Pacific at Blue Prism. Thanks, Sandy. Great to be here. How are you? Good, thank you. And I also have Bosco Lopez, Intelligent Automation Lead from Avenard. Thanks, Sandy. Lovely to be here. Nice to meet you, Dad. You too. So let's go back in time. I mean, we're here to talk about the future, but let's start off by going back in time. When I think about my first job, I worked at a supermarket as a, I guess what we call a checkout chick in Australia. Uh, manual labels on all of the products with the price, add it all up, and then somebody would give me their money and I'd have to work out what change I needed to give. Nothing was automated. It was a totally, totally manual process. And when I think today about how supermarkets <laughs> are, which is self-service, you know, things have changed. Dan, what was your first job? You, you've taken me back. You talk about things have changed. I would come into my dad's company during school holidays and he would give me a stack of pre-printed forms and I would get a ruler and a red pen and I would have to cross out contracts and what have you that had been changed. And then I can, I can distinctly remember my father coming home from work one day and said, Dan, I have seen the future. And he was talking about the fax machine. <laughs> Okay, Bosco, you're not as old as both of us, but what was your first job? Well, my first job actually was uh, manual data entry whilst, whilst in university. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a computer at home and I took it and I said, all right, great, uh, I'll do this task. And I got good money for it. And I was thrilled about my first uh, paycheck, wow. so as to speak, gave it to my mom and said, mom, look, at that point in time, enjoyed it. Wow. Fast forward <laughs> now. <laughs> That's no longer going to be the case, right? Because that's what automation is. Mm. Uh, so Bosco, you're responsible for intelligent automation. What does that actually cover? So intelligent automation is bringing together robotic process automation, RPA, which is repetitive tasks, and artificial intelligence, which is bringing the human decision elements in tasks, combining it together to bring end-to-end intelligence and automation and that's what intelligent automation is. So what do we think about the workplace of the future when we think intelligent automation and AI? The workplace of the future is going to be a collaboration with a digital workforce and human beings as well because the automation is going to be done by the bots and there's AI that is going to provide the predictive uh, analytics to be less reactive and more uh, understand your customers better. So the workforce of the future is going to be more customer focused and less, uh, less admin driven and, and you're going to be providing better services. Is that what you're seeing, Dan? And have you got any examples of where you've seen clients take this to the next level? Sure. Uh, you know, I think that RPA 
version one was very much about automating the repetitive and the mundane. I, I met a customer of ours and I was speaking to him. He runs a center of excellence for RPA. And I was asking him, how do you, how do you look around for you know, opportunities for RPA? And he goes, oh, it's very simple, Dan, very simple. I just go and talk to people. And when I hear them sigh, oh, and then I have to do that. He's mm. like, oh, that is something they don't want to do. Take out these repetitive, mundane tasks that can be better done by robots and let humans focus on the things that they can use their intelligence and empathy and judgment to do. We've seen an insurance organisation uh, do email-based service requests. Their policyholders send an email and the robots pick up the email, they take the text of the email, they send it out to uh, these sort of cognitive services online. Those cognitive services come back and say, you know, this is what the email's about. This is what they're asking for. Maybe they're complaining and I need to deal with complaints. Maybe they're praising me for the wonderful service I've offered them. And the robots are figuring all of that out and figuring out, okay, which of these can I handle myself directly? Which of these do I have to push off to a human because it requires their unique skills? It's very clever stuff. Actually, it's interesting. I was speaking to my husband this morning about uh, his company's uh, monthly survey and there were three questions that he rated on a scale of 1 to 10 where 10 is great. He rated below 5. There were three questions. So he got three automated emails back from supposedly his boss's boss saying if you want to talk about this hmm. you know please answer it was obvious it was automated because he got three exactly the same responses which was interesting yes. but it, it does show um, already an application the next level of that application would have been to combine those three and you know send them back and say you know yes yeah but it, it's, it's interesting yeah uh, another example you know when I'm booking my flights now to travel and we do a lot of that automatically now my calendar is blocked for me during that time so I don't have to go and reorganize my calendar for me. And these, time, these, these things of automation are increasing uh, the efficiencies and our way of being more productive. That's right. That kind it's of works. One more mundane task you yeah. don't have to follow up on. Yeah. So there start to be all these discrete services online to, let's say, translate uh, text, to look for sentiment, to analyze fraud, to, to analyze radiography uh, films and what. And organizations are starting to realize, well, I can actually now take those discrete services and start to combine them into an intelligent business process to deliver some improved outcome for my customer or for my staff or for otherwise. And, and that's what the robot's able to do, sort of harness all these, these uh, complementary technologies or complementary services into a, an intelligent, long-running business process. Okay, so we've talked about uh, the technology aspect, um, the robots, the automation. So if I just come back to the people side of things for a moment. So for example, Jennifer Westacott, who's the Chief Executive of the Business Council of Australia, she said that businesses and policymakers are questioning whether the current Australian academic model is suited to a modern dynamic economy, a bit like what we're talking about here. So. I'm interested to know whether you guys think that um, we are training the skill that's required for these future workplaces, the future workplace where a lot of stuff is going to be automated. So what's going to be left for the workers to do and will our workers be appropriately trained for that? 
in, in the academic institutions, I believe uh, uh, the, the kids coming out of college and all, there, there are academic programs for AI, for automation, so that the generation coming out into the workforce, they are well acquainted with that and they're ready for that. It's a question about the workforce themselves who, who are getting this technology in there. You, ha you need to have sponsorship at a high level. You need to have someone ready to set up that center of excellence and then have the right partner to enable you along that as well. So when we go in to help our customers, we help them build that center of excellence. We help them co-create automations. And, and then they are able to transition into working into the new. And that's important. Otherwise, it is, it is going to be difficult for these programs of work to succeed and to, for them to scale. And then once the task is automated, what do you do? You then have to think about new ways of working, new services to provide to your customers and be more creative on that, that aspect. Mm. You know, if we talk specifically about RPA, people have done studies and they, they look at it like, you know, we can't get rid of the entirety of a person's role, but there are portions of that role that they can get rid of. So it's not like I'm automating out 100% of all of these individuals and, and they're gone. So I think there's a leaving RPA to kind of one side, I think there's a bigger story about robots and AI and automation and, and so on and so forth that is definitely going to require the kids of tomorrow to have different skill sets to, you know, the kids of yesterday. And if I think about myself, you know, when I was at school, memory, it was the most important thing. You know, I did well at school, I had a great memory. I can memorize my times tables, I knew all that stuff. I look at my daughter's school today and it's all about analysis and it's all about self-awareness and she gets assessed on you know she does a task and then she has to think about how she did the task and why she did the task that way and if she had to do the task again how would she do it better next time it's a very different way of learning um, and people will need skills like that you know skills around I think if you look at the workplace of tomorrow uh, technology skills will be very important I had some friends who sent their kids, I live in Hong Kong, they sent their kids to coding camp in China, a sort of a summer camp. Uh, people will need to have social skills, much more important, that empathy and collaboration and communication is key. And higher order sort of cognitive skills, you know, being able to sort of see three moves ahead and move the chess pieces. People need to do that stuff. If you're in a business of manual labor, repetitive labor, physical labor, uh, those jobs will, will go and you need to recognise that and, and be trained accordingly. And I think there's a big role for schools to play in, in that, in the education department. And I think there's a big role for government to play in getting uh, you know, the society ready. And there's probably a role for companies to play as well in mm. thinking about their social responsibility. Yeah, and that's probably, for me, one of the biggest points is that there is quite a bit the corporates need to play with regard to social responsibility because I think we could make the, um, the the salary gap you know just bigger by keeping the thinkers and um, the people that do the repetitive work are left without jobs so there is definitely something there and I, and I agree with you on the skills they will be different that our kids you know your young one uh, what she'll be going through Bosco is going to be quite different than than my son Hugo your children or um, you know what we went through at school problem solving you mentioned I think um, there's something around time management mm -hmm. yours and other people's time management uh, and being able to analyze data 
Yeah, you know, for sure. Yeah. For me, they're the, the top three that we really... And, and then there's always the coding because I think there's some of the uh, more state-of-the-art companies that saying everyone in our company needs to be a coder, basically understanding at least how programming works, uh, yeah. you know, whether they actually can do it or not. It's another story. You hear from a lot of companies that are positioning themselves to be advanced and innovative and what have you, and they say, oh, no, 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 we're a technology company that that does banking, <laughs> or we're a technology company that sells insurance policies. You know, mm. and they're, they're seeing that the, the, the way for their organisation to move forward and to have strategic advantage is to be innovative and, and technically adept. Yeah, and if you do not do that, then you're out of the race already. And so therefore, you will, you know, that company will lose their, sure. lose their people and jobs. So you have to be in it to stay forward. I'm going to change direction just a little bit. Uh, so one of the biggest fears is that basing AI decision making on existing data sets will perpetuate bias in the workplace. So an example of this is historical discrimination impacting employment practices regarding race and gender. There are TV shows like Black Mirror or films like Minority Report that paint a dark picture. How do we ensure that AI is acting ethically? I think it's an important question. And I'll, I'll sort of extend it a little bit. How do we know how and why the AI's made the decision it's made. I did some, I, I was putting together a presentation recently and I was trying to think of a fun way to open it and what have you, and I was doing some different research and I found out all the stuff, for example, that's being done within police forces in America to use AI to predict the location, likelihood, etc., of crime. And it started me thinking, if if I was to take all of that data of, of crime today and feed it into an algorithm, I know what it's going to tell me of where crime is going to occur in, in the future. And, uh, and, you know, we see in the newspapers all the time in the, in the States at the moment, we talk about sort of the racial bias in, in policing. And if we embed that in computer systems, wow. So I find myself thinking, should as much as their private organisations and their IPR, should they need to publish their, their algorithms? Should it be subject to peer review to know how and why these things are being made? Mm. Uh, I think that there needs to be a balance and, and the data um, is trained by a human at the end of it. So you have to have a human lens on the data. So if you, you look at it from a biased lens, the AI model will be biased. So it, it is trained, it is taught, and that's the difference between AI and a human being sure. at the end of it, right? So, so if you, you look at your data, look at the, uh, the attributes like gender, race, color, and, and model the outcome that you want to achieve in, in the right way with the right mindset, that will take care of bias. Of course, you will not get it right all the time, and you have to continue to see the results coming out of it. I read an interesting uh, article about some organizations using AI now for performance reviews because the, the organizations have scale. Not sure how it's going to work out. The, both sides of the argument, one, sure. you could find AI could find some hidden gems that could otherwise be missed out. And on the other side, there could be a bit of bias in it. So at the end of it, the result that comes out still needs a human lens to find out, oh, why is this one rated at, uh, at a high level? Who is this person? I didn't know that. Great job, AI. I need to meet this person more and talk to this person. So, so there's, there is the balancing act, and you cannot 
you, you cannot just leave it all to AI at the end. No, and you can't, I don't want to stop the march of progress either. Yeah. Um, I'm a technology person. I like to think I, yeah. you know, have an innovative, you know, I, a, a viewpoint for innovation. I, I'm all for it. But you don't have to scratch too far below the surface to see lots of mistakes that have been made in yeah, the past. I, exactly. think about, I think about the, um, the financial crisis. And we read about Couldn't errors yes. in models put together by ratings agencies. Yeah. You know, people make mistakes. Now, that's bad enough when you're talking about global financial crisis. Um, if we're talking about sending people to jail, if we're talking about, you know, other sort of real social impacts, uh, that gets worse. Yeah. Mm. So... Just then building on that about, you know, you mentioned the performance assessment example, Bosco. So if we need to be transparent, should we have some guidelines around, for example, that job descriptions should outline what AI will be done, you know, in the workplace compared to what the humans will be doing? You know, is there something like that where we should be more transparent around how much AI is actually happening? in the workplace. Mm. That's got you stumped. I think it'll change so rapidly, so constantly, that my job description from six months ago is different to my job description today. Having, you know, you talk about what's the future of work. I, I think the future of work is the history of work. Um, you know, and, and ever since somebody came into the organisation with an Excel spreadsheet and some accountant doing things by hand said, hang on, what about me? You know, I mean, We've had this automation improvement since time immemorial, and it won't change. We need to just be aware of that and train people to uh, adapt, um, offer them opportunities. But I don't think we can kind of mandate ahead of time, you will do this, the machine will do that, and that's going to be fixed. Organisations yeah, need change, flexibility, of yeah. course. There, there are definitely new job descriptions and new roles being uh, coming in with the advent of automation and AI. You will have... Uh, bot managers, you will have uh, security experts for, for bots, uh, even legal teams and HR are thinking about policies for uh, a, a bot versus what a human being is doing because that bot is doing what the human was doing, but still, th th is there training required? You, you need to redefine your roles as well. So, so yeah, that's going to continue to evolve. And uh, like I say, I don't, I don't think it's a doomsday scenario. No, it's, when I first joined Blue Prism, I thought to myself, I wonder what happened to the number of bank tellers when ATMs were introduced? And you know, how much of a cliff was there for the bank teller community? And I was surprised because the number of bank tellers went up counterintuitive thing, how could mm. have gone And the, uh, the reason why is because banks realised, oh, I need fewer people to man a branch so I can open more branches. I'll put a branch on every corner. You know, and so we, we have this fear that uh, my ATM's going to take away all my jobs. Didn't happen. I think it's the same thing really with RPA. There will be aspects of jobs that get automated away that people are happy about, but those people start to do more customer-facing roles. Yeah. They start to do yeah. things that add value. Because frankly, uh, copying a piece of data from here to here does not add value, <laughs> you know. It's kind of silly for you, Mr. Organization, to pay me to copy this. Use me mm. to do something that adds value to your business. Okay, that leads me to our last question then, uh, which is around what jobs do we think will be created in the future that we don't have now? And I'm, I might start with you on that one, Bosco. Well, uh, I think we will, we will be doing a lot more 
customer-facing interactions. There will be jobs for people to manage 200 bots, and th 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 you're going to be collaborating a lot more with, with those bots. So being able to know when to hand over tasks to them or take, take, take tasks from them in security as well, that's going to play an important role in, in managing uh, bots at scale and making sure they're secure. Data scientists, data architects, those are going to be more, more important, but at the same time, judgment, empathy, and decision-making skills, those are going to be more valuable. Management skills are going to be more valuable as well because that's, that's more customer-facing and people-facing. So there's going to be a balance between the two, and, and that's going to continue to, I guess, evolve as, as we get to get the technologies and automation more into our culture. Mm -hmm. What about you, Dan? What do you think? New skills, new jobs? Well, I agree with all of that, uh, and that's all within the context of RPA and automation, particularly data scientists. There's a yeah. massive uh, sort of lack of those skill sets uh, in the marketplace now. Organisations are continually saying, we can't find them. It's a, it's a growing business. I think in the wider community, outside of RPA, you know, we have an ageing society and people to help the elderly um, and that connection and, mm. and the like, you know, nurses and social workers and what have you, these will become very important jobs to, to, to deal with our ageing society, as an example. Um, but also, think back 10 years. 10 years ago, there was no such thing as an app developer. There was no such thing as a YouTuber, you know. There was no such thing as a, as a social media influencer or a blogger. Maybe there were bloggers. Um, there were certainly no, um, you know, esports people. The world continues to invent new jobs and new yeah. roles yeah. and new capabilities, and, and so will it in the future. And we'll be doing things in 10 years' time when we have our podcast reunion. We'll be, we'll be thinking about all of these jobs that didn't exist when we started talking about it now that nobody can even sort of imagine at yeah. the moment. Yeah. So a couple that, are, that spring to mind for me are the voice of the bot, you know, yeah. that, that people will have to have a job to um, say, how do I want this bot to speak out? What sort of voice do I want my company to be represented in with this bot? Mm -hmm. So that will be one thing. And the other thing I think is uh, an experience officer. So somebody who looks at both the um, customer experience and also the employee experience and works out how to bring those two experiences together to get the, the best out of the corporation, yeah. including how bots and people and everything work together to solve yeah. what our customers' problems and challenges are. So just some things. So yeah, let's um, put in our calendar that 10-year re reunion on <laughs> this podcast <laughs> and uh, see how different the world is in the job market then. Yes. Okay, yeah. so Dan and Bosco, really appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Sandy. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you for joining me today. I look forward to presenting the next podcast to you. For more details, please visit avenar.com forward slash podcast. Thank you.